Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is ding, ding, ding. Happy Valentine's Day, February the 14th. Uh, and oil prices are trading uh, in the sweet spot, one might say. So not a bad Valentine's Day for anybody who's selling oil. Brent crude oil at 82.69. Uh, WTI about $5 behind, you'd have to say. Uh, everybody's happy at that number, producers and consumers even. Uh, one would think, uh, given the price of a, co- a can of Coca-Cola 10 years ago versus a can of Coca-Cola today, uh, a lot less inflation uh, uh, in the oil price than most other things. Um, let's kick off this morning with Kate Durian, a Mies contributing editor and non-resident fellow at the Arab Gulf States Institute in Washington, uh, Kate, I won't say how many OPEC meetings you've been to, Ooh. and I won't say how many times you've been into the IEA office in Paris, but both are large numbers. Um, and so consequently, very well placed to uh, comment on the reports out yesterday from both agencies in their forecast for demand growth, oil demand growth in 2024 yesterday. Your former employers at IEA putting the number at 1.2 million barrels a day for 2024. Uh, your former uh, OPEC Plus, which obviously you tracked as a journalist for many years, are at 2.2. Who's right? Who's wrong? Where are we going? Oh, God. Uh, actually, the IEA report hasn't come out yet. That was Fatih Birol speaking. On, oh, like, sorry. On okay, thank you. Television. I presume it comes out on Friday. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, I presume, I presume you've seen it, but uh, <laughs> even the embargoed, the embargoed version hasn't come out. But you know, right. we have seen the divergence. And in fact, uh, somebody was talking to me yesterday about, you know, is it is it politically motivated? And I said, no, it's data. Um, and we haven't seen these kinds of divergences before. But I think a lot of it, it has to do with China. Uh, you know, where the IEA sees much weaker Chinese demand. They also see supply growth coming mainly from um, from the Americas. So for them, there's enough supply at the moment to meet demand, which is, uh, in their view, a lot weaker because, as Fatih Birol said, because of electrification, because of EV sales, and because of, uh, of Chinese demand coming in weaker. So I think who's right and who's wrong, I don't know. I can't tell. But, um, you know, it's it, the data is the data. And OPEC obviously looks at certain um, metrics when it, uh, when, it, um, when it does its data. And, you know, whether you include liquids or no liquids. Uh, but I think when it comes to demand, I think they have diverged on the, on the outlook for China. I think that's mainly where the divergence is coming from. Omar El Obeidli, Director of Research at the Bahrain Center for Strategic International and Energy Studies. <clears throat> at $82 on change in Brent, is there much of a geopolitical risk premium in those prices? Should there be more? Should there be less? How are you reading the geopolitics of everything at the moment, Omar? I would say that there is a small uh, um, but not trivial uh, geopolitical risk. I think that. Uh, the way um, things are going in the Bab al-Mandab and things are going in Gaza um, makes people feel um, cautious, um, uh, cautiously optimistic that things are piping down, but definitely wary that things could kick off at any moment. Uh, and add to that that uh, um, uh, Iran is you know, um, making pretty clear that its uh, uh, intentions to 
uh, via its proxies at the very least to continue destabilizing as a bargaining tactic. Um, but the uh, reality is that after you know 15 years now, almost since the Arab Spring started, oil markets have become well accustomed to the region being unstable uh, and to having all sorts of non-state actors uh, making, you know, disrupting from time to time. I think uh, an important factor that helped quell the concerns expressed that would usually be felt by concern market by oil markets is that uh, I don't know my video kept coming off. Is that um, is that uh, China chimed in and said, you know, more or less knock it off. Uh, and when China says knock it off, uh, China has significant influence over Iran. Uh, and that's considered to be, you know, something much more credible than the U.S. You know, sending Sorry, to destroy. Where are we knocking what off? Uh, knocking uh, the uh, the Houthis and the Iranian destabilizing activity in, in the in the Red Sea, basically, okay. and, uh, and that carries a lot more weight than the uh, counter insurgency or counter terrorism efforts or whatever you want to call it, but by the or the security maintenance efforts by the U.S. and its allies, I would say. Uh, and that do they have a similar knock it off impact for for Gaza and for the whole drama there? Where 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 is China? I think Gaza does not have Gaza does not have as much of an impact on um, oil prices unless it kicks off a massive regional war. And at the moment, we've had you know a slow kicking conflict on the um, you know on the border between Lebanon and Israel. But at the moment, the indications are that it's not going to escalate into anything bigger. The belligerent rhetoric from uh, um, Netanyahu seems to have come down a little bit, and I think he seems to the political calculus of his position seems to have changed. And so, at the moment, it doesn't look like Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, is going to escalate with the Lebanese. And so, it doesn't look, and that would have been the most obvious place for a full-blown regional war to, to you know to start. So, given so, really, Gaza is only important insofar for the oil prices insofar as it you know, carries the risk of an all-out regional conflict. Uh, Babel Mendep is a different issue, and that's where the knock-it-off uh, bears weight from the Chinese. I wonder what knock-it-off is in, in Mandarin. We'll have to find out. Bill Spindle, Senior Global Correspondent at Cypher News. Is it Cypher? I have C-I-P-H-E-R. I'll have to get to pronounce that more accurately. Maybe you can share Cypher, that with yes. Cypher, is that it? Uh, okay, there it is, Cypher, first right, time right. Uh, Bill, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on the news uh, over the last few days uh, from the explanation from the Saudi energy minister that indeed the energy transition was a big factor in their decision to back away from going to from 12 million barrels a day of oil capacity to 13 over the next four years, three or four years. Uh, saying that, uh, quote, we are transitioning and transitioning means that our oil company, i.e. Aramco, which is a hydrocarbons company, now is becoming an energy company with investments that go into all areas like oil and gas and petrochemicals and others. Your thoughts on that decision uh, uh, and obviously no immediate market impact for that today, this week, but ultimately what does it tell you about the direction of travel uh, uh, for others uh, in terms of additional oil capacity investment, which, of course, is very expensive? Yeah, I, I'm not sure it says a ton about what's going on outside of Saudi, but I do think okay. it's you know, it's a significant decision on their part to to sort of dial things back a bit over the longer haul, simply to re-divert money that they need to do a lot of the really enormous projects that they've got going, which 
you know, are, are part of both diversifying the economy, you know, that giant Neom project and many others. Um, they need money to to push those forward. They include some green stuff. Uh, I think the other thing is as they build more renewable energy, they can bring, you know, more renewable power into the power system where they're burning, you know, something like 600,000 barrels, a, you know, a day on an annual basis in the power sector. So in that sense, you know, that they can replace some of that potential capacity can come from dialing back, you know, use, crude use in the, in the uh, power market, which is, is truly is one of the craziest things that, that are going on in the planet uh, from any perspective, much less a, a climate Kate, just coming, circling back to who's right, who's wrong in the IEA and OPEC piece. Uh, I think it's it, it's one thing, um, of course, it's a big difference, a million barrels a day of oil over the course of uh, of, of 365 days is, is, is a lot of, of gap, 360 million barrels of demand gap over the year uh, between these two sort of signature organizations. It's one thing to get that sort of gap, you know, maybe six months ago, three months ago, even uh, as we were looking at 2024. We're now a month and a half into 2024. We can, you know, we can look in the rearview mirror already at what six weeks looks like. How can there be such a divergence deep into the first quarter of a year of, of, of by these two major actors? And, and, and as a forecaster, I mean, from the point of view of OPEC Plus, uh, I mean, OPEC Plus looks to be more following the IEA forecast than their own. <laughs> no, I think um, I think OPEC um, is. Uh, I mean, they have actually been proven right um, in the policy that they've adopted. You know, when uh, when you look at the the way that they cut production, when everybody's saying no, 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 they shouldn't be cutting production, or they cut production, and the price didn't go through the roof. So I think that 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 going by their own data. Um, they have actually gotten, you know, markets going in their favor. Of course, you know, the price went down, went up again. Now we've got the geopolitical risk. But I don't think it's, um, yeah, we, we've never really seen such a huge divergence. I mean, they do hold technical meetings. Um, they basically, if you look at, for example, if you're looking at economic growth um, forecasts, you're looking at the IMF. They're both looking at the IMF for their growth forecast. So how they come up with these different, um, demand for because as I said, China is key. I think there's a lot of um, there's there's additional demand from the Middle East. I think that's that's one thing that's been factored in, and of course, if um, it and demand is going to increase because particularly in this region, because as um, Bill just mentioned, you know they're using a lot of oil for um, for power generation. Iraq is doing it, Kuwait is doing it. I mean, it's, it's not just crude oil, but it's liquid fuels. So I think as you sort of progress, um, you are going to see a bit a bit more demand. But again, you know, inflationary pressures there. We're talking about the Red Sea. It's not just about oil. It's about bulk carriers. It's about a, a shortage of vessels, ships, you know, bulk containers, because they're taking so much longer to get to their destinations. You're looking at, uh, at products tightening. So I think... You know, there's so many other factors. And of course, all these numbers are, are, are subject to revision. You know, you, you might 
see slight revisions, you know, going ahead. So I don't think, yes, it may be early days yet, but this is the sort of the weakest, you know, this is the weak um, time of um, the first quarter. And you've got, you know, refineries being attacked in in in, in Russia. You've got... I, I suppose um, if you split the difference yeah. on it and come out at, you know, 1.67, in 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 either case, you're going to have to likely see OPEC plus extend its uh, voluntary cuts uh, deep into mm. the second quarter beyond the first quarter. Would that be your reading of things? Yeah, I would expect so. Particularly since they also see um, you know additional supply that that the the, the biggest contributors to supply growth are going to be the Americas. It's going to be Brazil, Guyana. You know, assuming Guyana sort of is. It stays calm with this build-up, you know, Venezuelan build-up. I mean, there's just so much geopolitics, not just relating to the Red Sea and the Gaza situation, but also, you know, Russia and Ukraine and, uh, you know, got elections all over the place. So I think it's uh, it's very difficult. It's a very uncertain time. So I think forecasting, you know, it must be really, really difficult. But if you're an investor and you're looking at these two sets of data, it must be really, really difficult to sort of choose, pick and choose which one you go with. Well, so, certainly, uh, from the point of view of uh, if you're OPEC yourself and you're planning, uh, you know, to, to make decisions on cuts pretty soon, extending beyond the first quarter, uh, you, you've got to make that decision pretty soon. Uh, Omar, I, I, speaking of elections, um, it seems you know Asia is teaching us a thing or two about uh, calm democratic elections that pass from one to the other compared to what is happening in Europe and America. But your thoughts on the outcome of the Pakistani election earlier this week? It looks like they've already found a way to form a government. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Pakistan is unfortunately a perennially uh, unstable uh, actor or a political system. Uh, I have to say uh, I'm not particularly uh, privy as to the latest developments therein, but but I do know that unfortunately, uh, um, uh, you know, with this is all sort of symptomatic of the broader uh, disinterest that America is showing in uh, in maintaining stability in the region. Uh, and these are all tied to, you know, what's going on in Afghanistan. What's I mean, there was a time when what happened in Pakistan was a pretty big deal for the Gulf. Uh, 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 is it still? Is it not? We've got Sharif and Debuto's party, former sort of enemy opposing parties now in coalition and forming a government. I think the I think what's happened is that so I think it's still important for the Gulf countries. However, the difference is that in the previous model of statecraft for the Gulf countries, they would try and fail to influence what's going on in Pakistan. Uh, and in the newer version, they're resigned to their inability to influence what's going on in Pakistan, which is partially because they don't really have any actors on the ground who can you know, help execute the, the plans they have in mind. And secondly, because... The you know the state capacity in Pakistan has has deteriorated so much that, that even if that when you do things like fund various entities, getting that to translate into some sort of effective or coherent policy is 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 very difficult. So I think that the Gulf countries are pretty much uh, are just as keen as they previously were to follow what's going on and to have an influence, but they just realize now through. Uh, uh, years of uh, failed attempts that they just can't quite, you know, uh, get get what they want to happen. I don't know why I'm completely blue, but I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, blue is good. Blue is good. Uh, Bill, 
you're green, I can tell that, and with a bit of blue, but nonetheless, uh, more green in, in Cypher News. But um, you are in New York, and I wanted to get your thoughts on, on I mean, things that are confusing enough, but is America booming or is it ailing? Uh, everybody has a job, but everybody's unhappy. Uh, what, what's happening in America uh, now with the inflation rate coming in yesterday, uh, still looking like everything's booming along and uh, uh, rates won't be coming down anytime soon. What's your temperature on American economic outlook? Yeah, I think the uh, the inflation numbers came in. Again, it's an expectation thing. They came down a bit, but not as much as, as many investors had hoped and been betting on over the last uh, month or two where we had this huge run up in, in markets. So there's been a pullback on that. Yeah, Fed, I think rate cuts are, you know, out a bit more, but but uh, if the trend continues to sort of be downward on inflation, um, I think it'll start coming down, you know, now mid-year maybe or or late. So you have, the economic numbers are obviously quite strong. Um, they're not filtering through um, to sort of consumer uh, or popular happiness because prices though they're not rising as much as they were before, they're still considerably higher than they were. Uh, certainly the last time people went to the polls to vote, for example. Um, and then the political situ situation is is really as uncertain as it's been, you know, ever maybe uh, since uh, for many, many decades. Uh, as we look forward to this election, things are really, really in turmoil, really on both sides of the aisle. Uh, any specific examples? I mean, there, there, there is... Um... This current uh, week for for Biden with the outcome of the investigation into his documents, he's a sleepy old man, uh, and and you've got uh, Trump uh, telling uh, uh, enemies to invade our uh, his allies in Europe. I mean, it, it, is this just rhetoric, or is this uh, you know a real fracture in the outlook that we should prepare for in the rest of the world that this is? Clearly, uh, any which way you cut the cake, a very different America. Well, I think, you know, again, we'll have to see where things fall in the end. I mean, yes, right now, most Americans, the vast majority are greatly unhappy with a, a choice between, uh, to overgeneralize, a sleepy old man and a crazy old man. Um, so, you know, that's a <laughs> that's leading to just... Again, both sides are really fighting amongst themselves as much as they're fighting between themselves. The Republicans are are in just complete turmoil, um, trying to figure out how to go forward on Ukraine, how to go forward on uh, immigration, Israel. On the Democratic side, there's you know tremendous hand wringing over where Biden, you know, how strong is he going to be going through the, the rest of this election, though everyone seems to believe they're stuck with him. Um, yeah, yeah. It, 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 all, it, all around. Can we, can we have a parallel universe? I mean, that's the question looking out for the year ahead where the economy continues to thump along, everybody has a job, stock market's roaring, uh, uh, while the crazy old man and the tired old man uh, sort of tell us why they're the vision for the future. I mean, it it, it does seem a little bit odd. Let's go to uh, the survey question and see where that tells us about things. IEA, uh, 1.2 million barrel a day, and OPEC, 2.2, are 1 million barrels a day apart in 2024 oil demand growth forecast. Who is most accurate in your opinion? 
Uh, are you in the bullish bionic OPEC camp? Are you in the somewhat less bullish, somewhat bearish IEA camp? Uh, uh, and, and and see see where it all goes moving forward. It it, it it's a choose your horse in the race. Uh, Kate, looking forward in the more immediate oh. sense of things, we've had some volatility over recent weeks. Prices you know, dropping 6% uh, or so back down into the 70s. Last week, they climbed back up again. Uh, and, and we've had that sort of trend up and down, uh, a sort of high 70s to low 80s. Now we seem to be this week consolidating in the 80s. Your thoughts on the direction of travel more on the immediate term of uh, the front month? Um, I think it's a, it's a reflection, I think, you know, we've seen the price movements basically on news headlines. I don't think it's really fundamentals. The market is supplied. You know, I, I don't think it's, uh, I, there's no shortage. We haven't seen a drop of oil sort of, you know, uh, we haven't seen production disrupted from, from anywhere. Well, except Libya, that's that's sort of normal. I think it's mainly driven by by headlines. So I think, um, the, the, I I believe that one of the forecasts was that prices would average about 83 this year. I think it was the EIA. So I think, uh, you know, we, we've seen it. Uh, it. It hasn't really breached any 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 lows. So I think the market is on edge. And I've been saying all along, you know, the market was very complacent when all this began, you know, the attacks on the on Red Sea shipping. It seems to have sort of quieted down a little bit, but it's not over yet. And if you read some of the assessments by sort of military experts saying those attacks uh, against the Houthis haven't really done the job, they haven't really made the Red Sea safe. So I think anything can happen. To go back to this IEA OPEC thing, you know, I would think that the IEA as a representative of the major consuming nations, you know, the, um, that that I would trust their data on demand a lot more than I would OPEC, which is basically representing a small, well, quite a lot of producers, but, um, you know, the, the, the amount of data that's available to, to the IEA now, of course, may be joined by India, which is going to be really important. Um, if, if I mean, if the idea that IEA or... would be talking up their own book here is it doesn't play out for me because... Low demand growth is a disincentive to future investment and future capacity, which is something that they are always watching very closely and very concerned about. Uh, 2.2, you know, you might be willing to invest a few dollars in the ground and still move by Saudi. And, 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 and news from the Permian is the U.S. companies, the majors are not going to be putting a lot of money in the ground this year. Yes, I know, and there's not going to be that many, that much new acreage being offered, at least not by 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 the Biden administration. But anything can happen post November, right next year. So I think it's, uh, I I I don't think it's a big issue because again, the IEA has said that you don't really need new greenfield um, investment in capacity because there is enough oil at the moment from existing fields to meet their demand projection, which of course they see declining, you know, they see the peak by 2030. So, uh, and and if you look at the projections between the two, you know, OPEC 2045 and IEA 2050, the gap is is even bigger on, on sort of demand. So, uh, you know, I think what, what the problem has been in the presentation of the data, as opposed to the actual data itself, you know, um, the way that Fatih Birol has sort of gone on about, uh, oil fossil fuels are going to peak by 2030. 
Um, you know, it's and he's repeated this so many times. Of course, that's angered the uh, Saudis and and OPEC. So um, it's uh, it's it's become a political issue, whereas mm. it shouldn't be. You know, it really should be about the data. Omar, listening to your earlier words and and, and the, the sense of reading the tea leaves for the regional geopolitical stresses that have been quite pronounced in uh, the last four months uh, after a period in which, you know, most of last year up until October 7th, there seemed to be a lot of reasons to be optimistic about new kind of rapprochement between Tehran and Riyadh and and uh uh, the the this big tripartite agreement between the U.S., Saudi, and Israel. Uh, 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 Turkey seemed to have calmed down and come back into the fold, and so forth. Now, sort of like all the toys are thrown in the air, uh, uh, and all of the sort of fractures that are obviously there a long time are back uh, in their uh, bright light exposure. Uh, I'm obviously with Palestine and Palestinians very much within that. Um, what does it look like to you if we are, and God willing, inshallah, that we are in some kind of end game where uh, uh, the Gaza war, the war on Gaza, is is in a, is maybe getting to an end game? Ultimately, my question is, how quick or can we get back to the pre October seventh uh, frameworks that were all in place? Can that be? Uh, an immediate future for 2024. Your thoughts on rehabilitating what was in play before all this kicked off? So, first of all, although I um, I, I disagree with you regarding the sense of optimism, I think that the, the Saudi-Iranian rapprochement and other ones were better to not compared to not having them at all. But they didn't mean that the situation overall was better than it was, say, 15 years ago or 20 years ago or pre-9-11, really, which is the last time we can really have a sense of peace in the region. And the reason is, the basic reason is that as the US, you know, suspends or surrenders its role as a policeman, all these, there's a lot of sort of medium-sized powers who feel that they can get a bigger size of the pie and they're going to try and get it. And rapprochement and dialogue helps to cut down some of the tension, but unfortunately the region is very militarized and there's a lot of proxies. And so- So we're talking about what right now, Iran and Saudi? Iran, just one, all of them, even Iran all and Saudi, them. but all of the rapprochement. But it, doesn't the knock it off uh, comment apply to Tehran and Riyadh as it does so, to the Houthis and the Red Sea? So China, I mean, this is given the they were the, the midwife of that deal. Yeah. So the, China, I mean, first of all, you have to remember how it's very inexperienced in terms of Middle East policy and it doesn't have a toolkit. It doesn't have a footprint in the same way that the U.S. has. So when it says knock it off now, this is the first time it said knock it off and it's in a very targeted and specific area. But it doesn't have a toolkit of experienced influence in the Middle East. It doesn't know what does and doesn't work with Iran. Uh, it will be trying and and it and its foreign policy doctrine in general is really not about telling countries to do x y or z regarding their own internal affairs so to speak so it's it's in it's you know it's sailing in 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 uh, in deep waters uh, and you can't rely on china with its inexperienced foreign policy to be the source of stability here and going back to your question about gaza mm. i don't think that even after the immediate violence the immediate, you know, military confrontation comes to an end. There's going to be anything close to resu- resumption of uh, pre-October seventh because the uh, uh, the, the U.S.'s 
inability or lack of desire to intervene to maintain peace in the region is even more exposed and even more blatant to everyone now, as well as its lack of desire to defend its partners, whether it's Saudi Arabia, Israel, whoever. Uh, and so as a consequence, anyone, Iran and others are going to be feel more emboldened to push buttons. And you can see this in Syria and Iraq with the U.S. forces being, you know, uh, under attack uh, and the message being get out, you know, take it, you know, don't let the door hit you on the on the way out. So I'm afraid that even after the immediate confrontation uh, can, comes to a conclusion in Gaza, you are entering a period of, you know, several years of pushing buttons and trying to see what you can get away with. And uh, uh, and the people in the region are going to pay a heavy price uh, until Sena, you know, cooler heads and Sena heads, Sena minds prevail. Wow. Hey, Sean, you know, I could just jump in one more Please, thing yeah. about China there. You know, I think the, the other thing with China is China's another actor there that that on the one hand would like to see uh, the conflict under control. Uh, they've got a lot of interest in global trade and uh, order. On the other hand, they're quite enjoying seeing the U.S. struggle to uh, do its usual thing in, in the Middle East and any place else on the planet. So they're another actor that doesn't want to see it out of go, go out of control, but on the other hand, isn't too unhappy with the current chaotic situation. I wanted to get your views, Bill, as a closing comment. Obviously, you have spent a lot of time in India uh, and the, with where India stands on all of this, as well as going into their own election. Uh, India is the uh, the poster child of IMF global economic growth forecast for the year ahead. Modi's re-election. What their views to the looking towards the Middle East? Uh, you know, again, they, they've got a they want a steady, organized. You know, they're not quite as uh, happy to see the U.S. struggle there, but I think mostly they want to see a stable environment so they can get what they need out of the Middle East, which is energy and, and a significant amount of trade. On the election side, Modi is, you know, a steamroller going going ahead. It, it looks like it's going to be uh, nowhere near close, to say the least. What does that mean for India if, if he has a landslide, uh, maybe a supermajority or whatever in the in the parliament? Uh, what does that do for the outlook for India and its continued economic? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it keeps it on its current trajectory economically, which there's a lot of benefits to. Um, it keeps it uh, so somewhat stable, uh, at least in the short and medium term, politically, longer term. You know, there are questions to the, the extent Modi's consolidating power, the BJP's you know, the only game in town. Uh, what does that mean ultimately when when uh, Modi exits the stage? That could be quite some time from now, but long term, that that could be an issue and a lot of eggs are going in that basket. Uh, and a lot of energy demand, one would think. So Modi's uh, sort of uh, uh, big win in the election this spring, and that is probably very positive for the outlook for energy demand and continued imports of large quantities of oil and gas. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up there in our little vote here, uh, sort of eight to two, that the IEA is uh, on the more accurate side of things. We'll post that on social media and see what the rest of the world thinks about that. Uh, thank you very much, as always. Great to have the insights from Omar Alabedli in Bahrain. Kate Durian in Dubai and Bill Cipher in New York. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time today. Give us your thoughts. Um, we have Brent, as we said at the top, uh, uh, trading pretty flat this morning in Asia at $82.65. 
as I said at the top, I say at the bottom, I think producers will be happy enough with that. Consumers will grit, but be happy enough with it too. I think we're in the Goldilocks spot at the moment. Thank you very much. All the best.